this is the final episode of the second season of the Truth As I See It podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the stories as much as I've loved telling them to you. As promised, this season was much darker than the first. I wanted to explore some of the darker moments that colored in my history. So what's darker to end with than death? And yet, even in death, there is hope. How Death is Done by Tim Akamoff. Coma, California is a necropolis, a city of the dead. The dead, in fact, outnumber the living a thousand to one. My first trip there was to bury my great-grandfather. I don't remember the cemetery from that trip, but from my many subsequent trips taken to pay tribute or to lay others to rest. The family patriarchs are all buried in Colma, along with one of my favorite uncles who died much too young. Were it not for row upon row of headstones, Colma would just be rolling grass lawns stretching for miles across San Mateo County. It's a beautiful place, really, but I don't care for death all that much. And that many headstones reminds me an awful lot of death. After we buried my uncle there, it was a long time before I visited Colma again. The next time was when my grandfather passed away in 1998. He was an amazing man, and we had a wonderful time celebrating his life. And the city of the dead did not haunt me as much as it usually does. That was before September 11th, 2001. My grandmother, Pearl Akamoff, affectionately known as Pasha to her friends and nanny to the rest of us, passed away in Santa Rosa, California on September 3rd, 2001. She outlived my grandfather by just a few years, and we all gathered once more in the city by the bay to lay our matriarch to rest. The viewing was a somber affair, as usual, but looking at my grandmother in death while holding my son was a new experience for me. He was quiet as we approached her casket, his lips turned downcast in a frown as we approached. Dad, where is Nanny? he whispered to me. She's in heaven now, I said and hugged him. I said goodbye to my Pearl, as wonderful a grandmother as one could have, and Cole and I made our way over to the pews for the service. It was a beautiful late summer day in Redwood City as we made our way from the funeral home to the cemetery in Colma. My wife was riding in another car with our two-month-old Carson. And I, I was left alone with Cole as we approached the grave, which was next to my grandfather's burial plot. The green carpeting that is supposed to cover the indelicate mound of dirt was flapping in the breeze. When it blew up, Cole and I could see into the concrete basin that held my grandfather's coffin. Where do we go when we die? A quiet little voice asked from behind me. I was hiding tears behind my sunglasses as I thought about the lives of my grandparents. How just a few years ago, we were laughing and talking around their dining room table. They were always old to me, but never old enough to die. And yet here they were, about to be side by side in separate wooden boxes for eternity. And my three-year-old decides to get philosophical about the end of life. We go to heaven, son, I said, perhaps a little absently. 
Why are they in the ground? He asked me. This was six years before iPhone came out, but it didn't stop me from trying to distract myself with some other tasks. Cole, I'm thinking right now. Can't, can't you see that? I said. Why are Nanny and Dada in the ground if they go to heaven? He asked. I turned around and looked at him, at the way he asks things so earnestly and with so much importance. Because, I said, they, they left their bodies behind, but their souls are in heaven. When will we see them again? He asked. We'll see them when we die, son. I, I don't really know, I thought to myself, but this is what I believe. When I die, will I be in the ground like Nanny and Dieta? He asked. Most people are buried after they die, I told him. Some choose different ways to treat their bodies after death. He sat quiet for a few minutes. How does their souls get out of the ground, he asked, suddenly followed by, What does a soul look like, Dad? He's three, mind you. I, th I think your soul leaves you after you die, but before you go in the ground, I said, I, I don't really know for sure when it happens. But Dad, don't you want to know? He asked me. Yes, I thought. I really do. What's heaven like, Dad? I don't really know, Cole. There, there's some language in the Bible that describes that it, what it could be like, but we really don't know what it will be like until we get there. He was quiet for a few minutes. Dad, what does your soul look like? I think it's like smoke, son. I think when you die, it curls up out of your body and it rises into the sky where it's carried on the winds. Then it was time to lay Nanny to rest in the wide burial lawns of Colma. After my talk with Cole, it seemed my grief had vanished. I was intrigued and a little astonished that a child of three would be capable of such a conversation. But when they started lowering Nanny's casket into the ground, the finality of it all hit me. I looked over to where Cole was standing next to my mom, and his little face was so stoic. I could tell he was trying to process everything. When would he feel grief? I asked myself. Why do we grieve? I thought. I had just given my son answers to all his questions, superficial answers, yes, but answers all the same. Could my grief be caused by doubt? I wondered. I think Cole was looking for a wisp of smoke to rise from Nanny's coffin. I was his father, and every word I spoke was the gospel to him, whether I believed it or not. Many years later, I convinced myself that his young age at our time would ensure that he would not remember the details of our conversation, that we would discuss it again someday. But the first encounters are often the most impressionable, and I believe Cole's eschatological views could have been set by that one conversation. It gives a parent pause. We've had many other conversations since that day. For better or worse, I've helped shape his mind. Now he learns and thinks independently of me, and my hope is that he is able to work through his beliefs more thoughtfully than I did when I was his age. He has more information at his fingertips today than mankind has ever had access to. But access means nothing without action. Sometimes my mind drifts back to those sunny days in Colma, to those wide lawns broken only by white, gray, and black headstones and a few trees. And I wonder about things like heaven and souls and what is at the end of all things. And part of me thinks I knew more then than I do now.
But that's the tricky difference between belief and knowledge. This podcast was produced by Akamafia Productions. Any relationship to real events or people is probably not a coincidence. These words and memories are my own and may contain traces of the truth. Music, as always, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. You can catch the entire first and second seasons of the Truth As I See It podcast on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening to the second season of the Truth As I See It podcast. I'll see you again in a few weeks for season three. Until then, share your favorite stories with your friends and families. <laughs>